0: Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippey. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have.
1: What's up? I'm Brian Scott Rippy, Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast powered by Twisted Tea. Today we have Ben Jones, Penn State beat writer for statecollege.com. We talked a lot about the Nittany Lions, the type of year they're having. Closing the gap between Ohio State and Michigan, expectations for the game, opt-outs and everything in between. It's a great primer for the uh, Peach Bowl. Maybe you're listening to it on the way here. Whatever it may be, it'll get you prepared for the game. Before we get to that, though, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by C Spire. It's time to upgrade your home internet to the best service in the market with C Spire Home Fiber. The past few years have proven how important it is to have a reliable home internet connection for you and your family. That's why C Spire Home provides the most reliable internet service with 99.99% uptime C Spire also prides themselves in having the best customer service in the home internet market. Their customer service is award-winning local service based out of the Southeast with industry low call wait time. C Spire provides 1 gigabit and 300 megabit internet packages to homes across Mississippi, Birmingham, and the southern Alabama regions. C Spire is also proud to announce the release of their brand new 2 gigabit and 8 gigabit home internet plans. Save yourself the hassle by not waiting for your internet connection to drop with the other guys. Call or go online to cspire.com slash home today to use the promo code Rippy R-I-P-P-E-E, at checkout for one month of free service. That's right. Just for listening to this podcast, you get one month of free service when signing up for cspire Check them out. cspire customer inspired. This podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Look, I tried to tell you guys, if you didn't sign up for Skybox at the beginning of the college basketball season when they put out their model, that is uh, on you because the last two weeks, Skybox clients are up 50-plus units total they're up 22.4 units in the last week in college basketball. They rake it in every year. If you like college basketball and making money, which I don't know why you wouldn't like both of those things, you need to sign up for skyboxsportspicks.com. Go online, skyboxsportspicks.com. Sign up for a picks package that'll fit your price range. You can try it for a day, a week, a month. Hell, at this rate, if you're not signing up for the year-long all-access pass, I don't know what to tell you. You're just neglecting yourselves, profit. Check them out today. you got NFL playoffs coming up. you got the end of the regular season. You've got college hoops that they absolutely mop up in every single year, just getting into full swing. It is a tremendous time to try Skybox Sports Picks. Don't be the guy paying the man every Monday, trying to figure out where the money's coming from. Have him pay you and uh, get a little extra Christmas money in your pocket. Check them out today. They're absolutely crushing it. Again, 22.4 units just last week. How does that sound to you? Sounds pretty awesome to me. Check them out. Skybox Sports Picks dot com use the promo code Rippy r-i-p-p-e-e and that'll get you 20 percent off check them out skybox com. this podcast is also brought to you by lb's university avenue there in oxford if you're a rippy right subscriber that's rippy at get a free newsletter from me plus discounted meats right now if you're a rippy right subscriber just go ahead and show greg proof of subscription you get three six ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks, if it's a $40 valuation, you're getting there for 20 bucks. Just show him proof of subscription. He'll get you all set up. Then go find your own favorites. It's the best butcher shop in the world. All kinds of delicious cuts of meats. Go to LB's this holiday season. It will make everything in your house better. People will be like, where the hell did you get this awesome stuff? Like LB's University Avenue in Oxford. It is a crown jewel of the South, a crown jewel of Oxford. Check them out today. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Okay, here's Ben Jones. All right, we now welcome on Ben Jones. He covers Penn State for statecollege.com. I appreciate you joining us, man. You're settled in in Atlanta. How's everything going?
0: Uh, Everything's great. It's beautiful here and uh, no snow, which I appreciate. That's certainly not always the case the further north you go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Snow is a foreign concept to us down here. I'm still in Mississippi. I'll head over a little bit later in the week. You were talking about before we started recording, so you technically live in Minnesota. How does does that work travel-wise, covering Penn State?
0: Yeah, no. I mean, it's definitely definitely unique. Um, you know, I, I'm fortunate enough that, you know, I grew up in state college, so my parents still live there. Um, so I'll travel from Minnesota to state College for two weeks at a time, a week at a time, go to all the media stuff during the week, go to the game, and then fly back. Um, yeah, I think I was on twenty one flights this year so far. So it's been I'm getting my miles up, but it's a unique opportunity um after probably ten years of being centered in Pennsylvania, so a little bit different, but you know, in the age of the internet and certainly, uh, you know, if COVID caught, taught us anything, it's, you can do a lot of stuff from your couch. And that's certainly true for me too.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Amen to that. That's what I was going to ask you next. So you're not like a drivable distance away from where you live to, uh, co- uh, to happy or excuse me, to Penn state. Like you, uh, you, you're flying each time you come back and forth.
0: Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's about a 14, 15 hour drive. So, uh, you know, as much as I, I don't mind being behind the wheel, I'm certainly glad that, uh, you know, we invented flight a long time ago and I've been able to take advantage of that fact.
1: Yeah, the flight is a pretty cool invention. So we'll start about 10,000-foot view. Penn State finishes 10-2. and They lose to Ohio State and Michigan, win the rest of their games by something crazy, like 32 points per game. Preseason expectations to end of the year. What was Penn State's reasonable preseason expectations, and where do you feel as far as they did as far as meeting them?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the hard part for Penn State, especially the last five or six years under James Franklin, is that they've pretty well proven that they can beat everybody in the conference that they should. Um, you know, it's not really a question of whether or not they're going to be good enough to beat a lot of these teams. So it's really set the expectations that, you know, that, that this program's trying to get past Ohio State and Michigan. And that's really been the struggle. Now, again, you know, Penn State's done a good job making it competitive. Ohio State in particular, you know, it's given Ohio State one of its better games of the year almost every year for the last five or six years, but they just haven't been able to do it. I think the fact that Penn State, you know, finally had a new quarterback after, you know, what felt like a decade of Sean Clifford, Um, you know, Drew Aller comes in, he's a highly touted prospect. I think people expected him to sort of make this team, you know, take the next step. And in some, you know, regards, you know, Drew was a a change of pace from Sean and in good ways and not good ways. And I think that Penn state ultimately had had a lot of question marks on offense that I think people overlooked early, you know, in the preseason situation, you know, the receiver room wasn't quite established uh, you know the offensive lines always been a question mark for this program, and the running backs. You know I think we expected them to do better than they did, but on the whole they were still solid. So to me, you know the the expectations were really high. I don't know if that was uh, necessary or accurate. Um, but at the end of the day I think the fact that you know Penn State lost to Michigan lost to Ohio State um, there are far worse things than winning 10 games certainly Penn State has been one of the most consistent programs in the country at being able to get to that 10 win mark Uh, but I think for Penn State fans it's really about you know what can come after that and it really comes down to those two games and and that's been you know really the boogeyman for James Franklin the better part of his pretty much his entire tenure.
1: When you have for someone who covers the team when you have You Ole Miss has been a similar situation in the past. When you have a team like this where it's two games that you're circled on the schedule and then you have a little bit of a down Big Ten overall, I think at least toward the middle of the bottom of the league. They win the 10 games by 30-something points but lose the two games that you mentioned, trying to take the next step, get over the hump. Is it does that make it difficult for you to gauge like how good Penn State is? Like, clearly, they're a very good football team, they're an elite defense. But when they're winning every other game by such a wide margin, and you'll really only have the curve of those two games as measuring stick games to go off of, did it make it harder for you to like understand just how good this team was?
0: I think offensively, yes. I mean, I think Penn State's defense was clearly elite and has been clearly elite, and I think that's really something that's that's transcended just this year, Penn State by and large has had one of the country's better defenses pretty much for forever, but certainly, you know, the last five or six years or or so. Um, So I think that that was legit. You could tell that that group was really good. And Manny Diaz had them playing really well. Um, I, I think offensively, um, you know, there were some things that were out in the open that you could tell that they they weren't uh, necessarily quite figured out yet. But at the same time, they were winning by 30 points in a lot of these games. So I think it was a little to make a comparison to the NFL. You know, I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan and the Eagles have a really good record, but they have a lot of really uh, sort of obvious problems. So I think for Penn State, the nice thing about it was, you know. You could tell what they weren't good at, but at the same time, kind of like you said, it was a little confusing because it wasn't like they were grinding out these wins. They were struggling to do things and then winning by 30 anyway. So it sort of speaks to, you know, like you said, the, the big 10, especially in the lower third uh, just being down this year. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a struggle because you go, here's a team that clearly has some issues, but they're also winning by a ton of points. So how big can those issues really be? And I think a Michigan and Ohio state, uh, especially in the offensive side of the ball for Penn State, really exposed that those problems were for real. And in fairness, that Penn State's defense is for real as well. How does a 10-win team have an in-season offensive coordinator change? I mean, if you look at the surface
1: level numbers, which can be deceiving, right? They're one of the top scoring offenses in the league. We talked about, you know, the middle tier to bottom of the league being a little bit down, the margin of victory they won the, the 10 games off of. How does that happen? Take me through that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing was just the fact that Penn State couldn't move the ball or score points. I mean, Penn State's used to losing to Iowa State, and Michigan. It's it's not abnormal. Um, you know, and that happens to a lot of people, but these games have always historically been competitive. They've been, you know, 27, uh, you know, 30-point games where there's thrown punches, there's good defense. It just all sort of figures itself out offensively. But in these games, Penn State just couldn't score, it couldn't move the ball, it couldn't do anything. And I think really for Mike Yursich, who ended up getting fired after the Michigan game, it's a question of, you know, you're really brought to Penn State as the offensive coordinator to go, look, uh, you can beat all of these other teams. We've got enough talent on, on paper that you can go out there and beat Rutgers without trying that real hard, or you can beat Iowa without trying real hard. But Ohio State and Michigan, that's what you're getting hired to figure out. And he wasn't able to do that. And I think the fact that, you know, it's one thing if they had one bad game against Ohio State and then came back a few weeks later against Michigan and played better offensively, but that never happened. And I think because of that, it's sort of forced um, for a lot of different reasons, but I, I think it really sort of forced their hand, um, you know, in terms of a personnel change to go, look, it's one thing if you score, you lose. Uh, it's another thing if you can't score and lose and then you do it twice in the same year. So it was a little surprising. It's the first time James Franklin had made an in-season positional coach change like that. Um, but certainly you know i think the moment called for it and you know to penn state's credit they've in a lot of ways been a better team offensively since
1: if i had told you in august that ohio state and michigan respectively would score 20 and 25 points would you have thought michigan i would you have thought penn state would have won you know won if not both of those games
0: yeah i mean i think that's the other thing too is that you know penn state last year um you know had opportunities against ohio state to win that game probably should have they've historically had opportunities um and i think everyone expected this offense to be better than it was so when you can't do that um you know i think that really heightens the sort of feeling of failure in terms of what mike here wasn't able to do with penn state and i and i do think i think coming into the year i expected penn state probably to split one of those games um and i think it was sort of glaring that penn state's receivers weren't quite where they needed to be because i think and I really believe this, that if Penn State had last year's receiving room, uh, they'd probably win one or both of those games. And, and the, the story of Penn State season is a lot different and certainly speaks that, you know, coaching is only part of it. Personnel is a lot of it. Um, but, you know, it's, it's your offensive coordinator's job, whoever you are as a head coach, to, to make the personnel moves and development uh, that's going to make up for what you might lack in talent. And, and they weren't able to do that.
1: What was the anatomy of that failure on offense for your state? Like, what Was there any particular gripes that stuck out schematically? What was the kind of the, the gripe with them that led to the in-season dismissal?
0: Um, I think it was just that they couldn't get Drew Aller into rhythm. Um, they couldn't really stick to what they were good at. They couldn't find what they were good at and stick with it. I mean, it was a little bit of everything. Penn State's receivers didn't get open a whole lot. They weren't really schemed to get open a whole lot. Um, The running game, which was expected to really be their bread and butter with Catron Allen and Nick Singleton, it was good at times, but, you know, they just never had explosive plays. I think it was just nothing looked great. They were good and they were better than most teams that they played and, and the talent made up for some other things. But there was just, you know, I don't think that, you know, I think it speaks to rhythm. It speaks to how you view the game that really Penn State's offense hasn't changed a whole lot the last few weeks. You're not going to fire your offensive coordinator, bring two guys in in the interim role, and then suddenly reinvent the wheel. I think it's really just about what are you doing to get your guys comfortable? What are you doing to get your guys um, in good positions to be successful? I know it's such a coaching cliche when you hear people say that, but um, I think it's really true. And I think that's really where Mike Kiersuch failed. I think he had a hard time figuring out what his guys were good at and, and sort of sticking to making sure that they were good at that. Um, And I think it really came back to bite them. And, you know, there's some conversations on, on going out there about, you know, whether or not, you know, if there were any issues in terms of how he and James Franklin got along or things like that, that always sort of play into stuff that never really sees the light of day. But I think at the end of the day, um, he just didn't have the answers. And, and I think that was pretty much everywhere. And, and that's sort of, you know, at the end of the day, if you're not very good at your job, you tend to get fired. And I'm not going to say Mike, you doesn't know football. That's not fair and not accurate, but certainly um, he didn't bathe himself in glory this year either.
1: How would you grade Aller's season, right? It's hard to critique a guy too much who throws 23 touchdowns, the one interception, but like I watched most all of that Ohio State and the Michigan game. It was very clearly different. I'm not going to call a one-score game non-competitive by any stretch, but I just never felt like Penn State was going to do enough offensively, particularly in that Ohio State game, to win the game. How would you grade Aller's season for a 19-year-old sophomore who took over for a four-year incumbent starter?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's tough, because if you think that Drew Aller was going to be the guy that was going to come in and change Penn State's sort of trajectory and, and get them over the hump, there wasn't a lot of respects, no evidence that that was actually going to happen. He's a highly rated prospect. Certainly that pans out well, more often than not. Um, but Penn State had personnel issues. You know, Keandre Lambert-Smith is... Um, you know, at at the time was Penn State's, you know, main leading, receiving, returning target coming into the year. And one of his biggest issues had been drops and inconsistency. So when you go, your number one receiver might also be your number one drop threat. That's not a great place to start. Penn State couldn't run the ball as well as it thought it was going to be able to. And, And none of these things help a young quarterback. None of these things really help any quarterback. So to me, you know, I look at the one interception that he threw. There are probably like one or two other opportunities that maybe should have been picked. But, you know, if we say even if he's got three interceptions, you know, that's a perfectly fine season. I think he was willing to take checkdowns. He was willing to play it safe. All those things, you know, were good. Um, I think in particular because, you know, part of the reason that Sean Clifford got the, the sort of negative reputation that he sometimes had was that he was sometimes a guy that was willing to just chuck it and shut his eyes and pray that it all went well and i think that drew was sort of the opposite of that in terms of his willingness to take what was safe so you know i, I don't think that you can sit here and go yes he had the best season ever he this is an a plus this is you know it doesn't get any better than this I, i'm not as hard on quarterbacks as other people tend to be Certainly he wanted some throws back, certainly wanted some things back. But I think at the end of the day, it's a C plus, it's a B minus. Um, he did some really good things. He had some stuff he wanted back. He's 19 years old and people probably expected him to do more than he was really ever going to do, especially with the personnel he had around him. So next year will be interesting, but you know, that's that's a, that's at least one more game away before we have to look into the future.
1: Penn state had probably arguably maybe the best, if not one of the best uh, running back duos in college football and Singleton and Allen. i read, I've read a lot of you guys coverage leading up to this and you mentioned it wasn't, I mean, look, they ran for 700 and 850 yards respectively, four and a half and five and a half yards per carry. That's nothing to scoff at at all, but it, it very clearly seemed like from you guys who covered on a daily basis, seemed like they're left more to be desired. Why was that the case? What, what was missing from the running game? You think.
0: It was the explosive plays um, and why that never transpired, I think, has really been the mystery of the year. Um, you know, because you're right, you look at their numbers, and both of these guys have really just been, you know, dedicated to Penn State's approach of just they're just gonna punch you in the face repeatedly, and eventually you're gonna get tired and eventually they're gonna get their yards. But it was never sexy. And I think that people expected that and and probably rightfully so, because I think Nick Singleton had moments that made you go, you know, this guy kind of reminds you of Saquon Barkley a little bit. And that was a tough a tough bar to cross because Saquon Barkley is probably the best college football player that I've seen in person in terms of his ability to do other things that other people can't do. Um, But yeah, he just did a lot of things really well his freshman year and then Nick Singleton could not really followed up Katron Allen could follow it up at times but they just couldn't get explosive so i think that was really the the missing link is it's one thing if you're getting four or five yards of carry but you sort of expect those 16 15 20 yard you know plays as well and that just never happened and i think that that was a sort of a morale punch a little bit but yeah, it's it's definitely a different year in a lot of different areas if Penn State's able to have more explosive plays pretty much in every aspect. But certainly the running game with those two guys, um, they had a good year, but certainly they didn't live up to the expectation, I think, of what it was going to look like.
1: What's the coordinator situation looking like going into the bowl game? We've covered the Yurcich in season change. Manny Diaz takes the Duke job. Penn State hires Tom Allen. What is the coordinator on the situation on both sides of the football going to look like for this game?
0: Yeah, Penn State's going to stick to what it's done the last couple of weeks, which is Ty Howell and Jaywon Sider, who are, you know, a tight end coach and running back coach, respectively, um, will continue to hold co-offensive coordinator roles. They've actually, Penn State, or more specifically, James Franklin, has opted not to share who is calling the plays or how exactly that all works. I think his idea is... Um, they're just going to – it doesn't matter. They're going to call plays. No one needs to know how it works. And I think the idea is to keep them from getting too much scrutiny. Um, defensively, um, the the main defensive coordinator is going to be Anthony Poindexter, who's been the co-defensive coordinator for a while now. Um, so it's really just a kind of a assistant coach by committee on both sides of the ball to a certain extent. Um, and then they'll go about, you know, installing – all of the new guys uh, in the off season, but it's worked out well. And I think it's been a smart choice because these are guys that have been with the program for a while that know the players, know the personnel. And, and like I said, when you're, you're making a change that late in the year, you're not reinventing the wheel Uh, you're just maybe reinventing about how you look at the game and, you know, to Penn state's credit, and to all of their credit Penn state's defense didn't lose a beat and Penn state's offense arguably played better, you know, but then again, uh, you know, pretty much everybody is worse than Michigan um, on Penn State's schedule after they played the Wolverines.
1: What was the Tom Allen, a guy that has some ties to Ole Miss, spent a little bit of time – At Ole Miss, uh, Kane Womack was on his staff for a bit. His father, Dave Womack, was the defensive coordinator for the freeze era. Seems like a good dude. You had a funny note in covering his press conference where he kind of gave off the vibe of, thank God a lot of this shit is not my problem. Clearly not a guy that's going to jump probably for another head job after a year, which was kind of underscoring the point you were making. What was the approval rating on that hire? I I thought it was a pretty shrewd one. I thought it was one that's probably going to work out. A lot of expectations, particularly recruiting elite talent at Penn State on the defensive side of the football. What was the approval rating of that hire?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it was less – I think fans had less excitement than they did when Manny Diaz was hired. But I think that's mostly has to do with the fact that, you know, Penn State has spent the better part of all of Tom Allen's tenure at Indiana beating Tom Allen. So I think there's a certain amount of like, well, we've seen this guy coach. How excited can we be about what he brings to the table? But I think in his defense, you know, Penn State uh, personnel is much better than what he had at Indiana. I think that changes things tremendously because at the end of the day, you've either got the better players or you don't. And there's only so much coaching that can make up for that fact. Um, So I don't think that it, it sort of made people as excited, but I do think that it is a shrewd hire. I think it's a guy that is excited to be an off or be a assistant coach. Again, a guy who's excited to not have to deal with things again and a guy who really likes defense. And I think, You know, it's tough at a place like Penn State because, you know, a lot of times, you know, James Franklin said this, a lot of times you hire a guy so he can make you better. And in a lot of cases, um, you know, that's able to happen at Penn State defensively. There's not a lot to make better. So you're really just saying, you know, come in here, take the job, and all you have to do is continue to make the probably the best uh, or one of the best defenses in college football good luck. So I think that there is – A challenge there for him but Tom Allen seems to have the energy certainly when he was at Indiana his players really liked him and that's key especially on the defensive side of the ball because those guys really loved Manny Diaz and seem to really miss him already. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Um, but I do think it's a smart hire, and I think really anytime that you can, uh, you know, get more head coaches into a room, the smarter your program becomes because these guys understand how programs operate. And you can say whatever you want about Indiana football. You can say whatever you want about Tom Allen. He's a guy who's been in. In, in those shoes for a long time and understands what it takes. And I think that you know Penn State, independent of how the defense plays, is probably a better team for having him around.
1: The bowl games, particularly games like this, like excitement level wanting to be there is a, a very interesting gauge sometimes to try to figure out who's going to win a game and how the game is going to go. Ole Miss is at their second 10-win season in the last three years. Slane Kiffin's got the program on the rise. Even a lot of the excitement I think surrounding this one is what Ole Miss has done in the portal building toward – next year and its organization and all of that with NIL. For Penn State, that's been at the ten win mark for quite a while now, trying to get to that next level. Is is Penn State? Do you sense that they're excited to be here? What is the what do you want to do it from a fan or a team mindset? What is kind of the the vibe around being in this game and playing Ole Miss in this game?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you know there was a, a period of time where the, it looked like that Penn State might play Tulane, which is is not a, a bad thing by any stretch, but it would have been uh, the second time that Penn State had played in a New Year's Six bowl against a Group of Five team, and I think that that had sort of taken a little win. Out of the sales, if you will, about how excited can you be about that sort of thing. So I think to get Ole Miss, I think Lane Kiffin obviously is a a recognizable brand in and of himself that adds a little bit of flair to that. I think, you know, playing in Atlanta, um, we were just over at that stadium recently, you know, just an hour or two ago. It's a a great place to look at. It'll be Penn State's second um, NFL stadium of the year because they played Michigan State at Ford Field to close out the regular season. So I think there's a lot of excitement there. I think obviously Ole Miss's offense is an interesting thing to put up against Penn State's defense and and sort of vice versa um, in some respects. So I think that, uh, you know, there's definitely excitement there. I think there's a lot of uh, happiness, if you will, that they're playing a team that you can kind of get more excited about just by name recognition at all. Um, And, you know, it's the fact that Ole Miss never played Penn State. Penn State's never played in the Peach Bowl. Um, You know, I don't I don't know how much Penn State players read the Wikipedia pages of history between programs and bowl games, but certainly there's a lot to look forward to. And I think, you know, Penn State's been fortunate to be in a lot of New Year's Six bowl games. Um, And this would be another feather in their cap if they can win and certainly a game against the opponent they can feel good about beating if they do.
1: We will get back to Ben in just one second. But before we do, I want to take a quick break to remind you. This podcast is brought to you by Twisted Tea. Are you ready to elevate your college football game day experience? Check out Twisted Tea, your Go-to game day beverage for college football fans. Twisted tea is unlike any other hard beverage you've ever had before. It's made with real brewed tea and packs a flavorful punch with 5% alcohol and no carbonation, delivering the perfect balance of taste and refreshment that goes down smooth for every game day occasion. No need to settle for the usual. Twisted tea turns up on any occasion, especially when you're cheering on your favorite team. Whether you're tailgating in the stadium parking lot, watching at a bar, or hosting friends at home, Twisted tea is there to elevate your game day experience it perfectly complements your love for college football and your passion for creating unforgettable moments so let's toast to unforgettable game day experience twisted tea the drink that fuels and celebrates your love for college football Keep it twisted. This podcast is now brought to you by MC Speech Therapy. Has your child been diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder or another developmental disorder? MC Speech Therapy offers private speech therapy from the comfort of your own home. Other centers may leave you as the parent sitting in the waiting room. MC Speech Therapy enables parents to make every moment with their child therapeutic. Using a relationship-based framework, MC Speech Therapy can help your child engage, relate, and communicate. Marie-Claire Boudreau's doctorate level expertise and passion in helping children with communication difficulties offers articulation and language therapy parent training is and is licensed to do virtual therapy across the state of mississippi with mc speech therapy you and your family will gain a better understanding of your child while cultivating stronger relationships for service today call 903-824-8575 or email her at maryclaire at mc speech therapy.net that is m-a-r-y-c-l-a-i-r-e at mc speech therapy.net all right back to ben Top to bottom, Penn State's defense is elite, as we've covered. I mean, it's it, from pass rush all the way to the back end of the secondary. They're opportunistic, led the country in turnover margin. I guess we'll start with this. What's made their defense elite? And then I'll package that in the second part of the question. In your time covering Penn State, where does this rank among the Penn State defenses you've seen?
0: Mm, the second part I'm going to have to marinate on, so I'll uh, kill some time on the front. I think they're they're good at everything. That's really it. They're good at getting to the quarterback. They're good at stopping the run. They're good in pass protection or or, or, or pass uh, defense. Excuse me. Um, there's not really a weakness. Now, that's not to say that the, you can't move the ball on Penn State. You can't pass or can't run. Um, they're not, they're not they're not invincible. But I do think that it's just that they're really good at just about everything, and they've got um, you could argue um, a player at every level that would be the best player on someone else's team. So I think that. It's depth, it's experience, it's confidence, and I think really they're not that complex. They're just really confident in the basics, and I think that uh, you can be a really good football team if you're good at what you do, and if what you do is really straightforward, and that's that's worked well for Penn State the last few years um, under Brent Pry, under Manny Diaz, um, and it's really uh, turned them into a formidable foe because I don't think that there's one obvious thing that you do against this team. Um, that that's going to beat you at, at least defensively. I think, you know, at the end of the day, probably the best option is to pass it. Um, But, you know, I, I think that that, you know, we'll see. And certainly you would think that that plays into what Ole Miss likes to do, but you know, all you have to do is go up against a bunch of guys that are probably going to play in the NFL one day. So it's easier said than done in terms of how good they are. um, I mean, they're as good as any of I've seen. I think that, you know, if you're going to get nitpicky, Penn state's had better linebackers than it has on this team Um, and that's maybe it, um, you know, the fact that chop Robinson defensive end isn't going to play in this game, um, you know, makes a difference, but then they just put in de Isaac um, or deny Dennis Sutton, just, you know, different guys that fill in and are just as good. And I think really, you know, to go back, what you were saying about how excited they are, um, about this game or how excited you can be, um, you know, Penn State's basically not had any opt-outs on the defensive side of the ball, other than, Chop, And I think that when you've got guys that have NFL futures like they do um, that close to the opportunity to go to the NFL and they all say, hey, we still want to play. You know, I think that speaks to their excitement there. But yeah, it's as good as I've seen. Um, You know, you have to look on paper to see statistically how it ranks. But I think, yeah, outside of linebacker, maybe, um, you know, and all you have to do is, you know, it's not fair necessarily to compare some of these guys to Micah Parsons, but Um, Yeah, I would say that end of the day, this is a long answer, but yeah, I would say they're, if they're not the best, they might be number two. Um, But Penn State's had so many good defenses that you're really just comparing a bunch of very, very good defenses and that becomes difficult to parse.
1: For Penn State, as you look at this game on paper, where do you think their biggest advantage is? I'll kind of tease that with what I've just seen you know, surface level so far. I think Penn State's ability to get after what was really kind of a battered Ole Miss offensive line toward the end of the year and protecting Jackson Dart I think will be immensely difficult and giving them time to throw. And then how Ole Miss is able to run the ball against that will be very interesting because they proved to be very creative even when they're not winning up front to be able to manufacture some running yards. Where do you think Penn State can kind of make his hay in this game and where would be an area that gives you pause?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think defensively, you know, overall, the question I think in a lot of these games when you have a team like Old Miss that's able to put up a ton of yards and able to put up a ton of points, I think the Big Ten's perception of what the SEC does defensively at large outside of Georgia and Alabama is one of those things where you go, well, can they do it against a Penn State team like this? And I think that's, you know, one of the things I'm most interested in because you've got a very, very good Penn State defense against a guy like Lane Kiffin, against an offense like Ole Miss that knows how to move the ball, that knows how to score points. Um, You know, a guy that, that knows how to scheme up what he needs to do and put that up against a defense that just doesn't give up a lot of points and doesn't give up a lot of yards. I don't know how anyone can not be excited about that sort of immovable object unstoppable force kind of dynamic there. Um, I think if Ole Miss is going to score points, um, you know, I think Penn State's been vulnerable between the tackles. Um, they've been vulnerable sometimes if, if a quarterback can, you know, have more time in the pocket, but you know, that's true for pretty much every defense and offensively. I think Penn State just has to stay on schedule. I think when they do that, when they're able to stay on schedule, stay ahead of the sticks, get themselves in situations where they don't need to be explosive to move the chains. I think they can have a lot of success there. Penn State's really, um, for as much as we've talked about their lack of explosive plays, has is, is really put together a ton of really long drives that have taken a lot of time off the clock that have really grinded opponents down. Um, and and to a certain extent, it's kept, you know, obviously their opponents off the field. So I think if Penn State can stay ahead of the chains, they've got a good opportunity. And if Penn State's defense can really, you know, just continue to do what it's done all year, um, you know, that's certainly an area where Penn State you know, has to feel pretty good about what it's doing. But obviously when you look at Lane and you look at Ole Miss, um, I don't think anything about that screams uh, this will be a game that, that the first team to 17 is going to win.
1: Last couple of things before I let you get out of here. I always find games like this interesting and talking to people who cover, cover other leagues, interesting. And Penn State's in a fascinating spot. Ole Miss is trying to get there as well in terms of like, all right, they've, they've been with a consistent top three SEC program in the last couple of years. How do you close that gap between Georgia and Alabama? Same thing, Michigan, in Ohio State for Penn State. What is it that like the biggest thing in Franklin's way of closing that gap? Because he's built this team very interesting. His old miss has gone very portal heavy and all that. I think Penn State's on 25 kids in their early signing period already. It's the polar opposite approach. Is it speed? What is the biggest thing kind of that is separating the two programs versus Penn State right now and closing that gap?
0: Um, I mean, this year it was receivers. Penn State just didn't have the the receivers to to do the job, I think broadly. Um, it's just being able to have the five or six defining plays go their way. Um, I don't think that personnel wise that Penn State, Michigan, and Ohio State are all that different. I mean, you can look at Ohio State, they have Marvin Harrison Jr, maybe the best receiver in America. you know, that's just not going to go your way sometimes. But I think at large, you know, Penn State's been just as good personnel wise as Michigan and Ohio State. Generally speaking, I don't think that there is a big gulf there that's really the the deciding factor. I think that there's just an institutional uh, mojo that Penn state hasn't quite found. I think that, you know, James Franklin gets some flack for how he manages games. I don't know that James Franklin has managed Penn state out of any of these games. Um, but I don't know that he has done anything that's made you feel like he is also the asset in those games. Um, so it's interesting. And I think that's really the struggle that this program has faced is it's not that they don't have good players. It's not that they don't have people in the stands. It's not that they don't have, Um, good institutional support. I think that it's just really hard to beat really good teams. And I think Michigan and Ohio state have been two or three or 4% better than Penn state. And that's been the difference. And I think you look back at 2016, when they beat Ohio state, it was on a blocked field goal and things like that just haven't gone Penn state's way. The last few years, there's been interceptions. There's been, you know, this year in Columbus, um, Penn State recovered a fumble and returned it for a touchdown and it was waved off because of a holding penalty away from the play it's just little things like that in close games um, that that go your way and you win they don't go your way and they lose and for Penn State they haven't gone Penn State's way and that's not to say something strange like they're cursed or something like that but I think that finding those little things in the game are really hard in Ohio State and Michigan for whatever reason have just been better at finding them.
1: What the hell's up with these divisions? I know it started as like legends and leaders, but you've got all this firepower on one side and then the other side, you've got like a 10 and two Iowa team where no one's happy and they win their division playing the conference title game. What is that like? Did Penn State fans look up when that happened? Was like, like really, we couldn't have gone on the other side. What went into that and what has that been like to cover?
0: Um, yeah, I mean, it's definitely been different. I mean, I think the good thing for the Big Ten now that it's expanding is they're they're getting rid of the divisions next year, but historically that's gotta be um, a good thing
1: for Penn State, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, adding Washington, Oregon, USC and UCLA isn't exactly good for anyone. But I do think that being able to avoid Ohio State and Michigan on a guaranteed regular basis um, is a good thing for Penn State. So, yeah, I mean, the the divisions were interesting. I think at the end of the day, you know, people want to see good interesting football games and penn state could be like wisconsin was if they were in the other division they would be in the west they'd win the west and then they'd show up in the big 10 title game and then they'd lose to ohio state or michigan so i think to a certain ex- extent there's just an element of well they're going to have to play them eventually may as well do it before the big 10 title game um element there but yeah i mean there's no question that that's really been one of the conversation pieces for the big 10 for a long time is the imbalance um in the divisions but certainly you know you like to think that sports are all you know secular in a, in a sense i butchered saying that word out loud but in, in any case you know i think there was some hope that the west was going to get stronger and that really didn't happen um but fortunately uh you know a lot of a lot of help so to speak is on the way and these schedules are going to be uh, a lot more diverse and i think that's good for everybody it's the
1: same thing with Ole Miss getting out of way from the division next year. You guarantee not having Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Texas A and M on your schedule every single year and praying your East draw is okay. Ole Miss did have a Vanderbilt as a permanent permanent East opponent, so a little bit of a trade off there. But like for Penn State and the expectations of James Franklin and all of that. Is it changed because for Ole Misses they built to this in twenty four twenty four? Kiffin, a big part of it is the expanded playoff. Like, hey, okay, even if you don't beat Alabama and LSU, say the divisions were staying, like you know your season's over. Now you can make that twelve team playoff. Do you think that would change how the Franklin era is judged going forward?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it'll be interesting because I think that Penn State's going to be able to prove that it can continue to win in the Big Ten. Now, I think the the. The anxiety that fans might feel at this point is the fact that, you know, Washington, USC, UCLA, Oregon, um, you know, obviously, you know, these teams are all going to have personnel changes this offseason that are really going to change the complexion of how they're viewed. Um, But these are all programs that are closer to Penn State than not. So I think that there is an opportunity there for Penn State to... Uh, you know, it doesn't want to get passed up by the new guys. So I think there's a little bit of anxiety there, but I do think there's no question that Penn state by and large, you would expect to be in the expanded playoff conversation on a regular basis. And I think historically that Penn state has played really pretty well against out of conference opponents that are pretty good. They beat Utah in the Rose bowl. Utah had an injury in that game that made a difference, but nevertheless, Penn state won that game. They played USC really well in the Rose bowl. They beat Washington once already. Um, you know, they just swept Auburn. I mean, Auburn's horrible, but it's still, you know, a a situation where you go and you beat an SEC team on the road home and away that that's meaningful. So I think there's some hope there that James Franklin can find some success when he doesn't have to go up against the same two teams every time. But I do think in the conference, um, that there is a question of can Penn State maintain its status as sort of the third best team in the conference, and and none of the four teams that are coming in except for maybe UCLA are going to make things easy for Penn State coming out of the gate.
1: What's it like covering some of these offenses in the Big Ten, particularly with Penn State having a def- uh, a defense the stature that it is year in and year out? We have a picks column on our site you know, a couple of weeks. I would joke, like, if you're an Iowa fan, like, do you remember where you were when they reached the end zone? What is that like on a Saturday when Penn State, you know, they're going to win the game? It's like, I, this team's probably not going to score. Like, how is that to cover a football game like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's different. I mean, I think, you know, in, in 2017 when Penn State was really good – Um, it was a lot of fun to watch just because Penn State had so many weapons that you knew they were going to win and you knew they were going to score a lot of points and you knew it was going to be enjoyable to watch unfold in front of you. I think this year it's been a little different because, yes, Penn State's defense is phenomenal and really fun to watch. Uh, But then, you know, every three and out meant that Penn State's defense or offense was coming back out onto the field. And that had been a bit like pulling teeth at times for fans, I think so. Yeah I mean it's definitely different in a, in the a Big 10 where you know it's not exactly known for its explosive offenses down the line and certainly Iowa I mean good lord I mean there's you know it's just not quite like anything in college football so it's definitely different I think at large The Big Ten offensively is better than it gets credit for, Um, much like I think the SEC is probably better defensively than it gets credit for. Um, But, you know, I I think there's no question that it's a little odd when, you know, unless Penn State's defense does a lot of things wrong repeatedly, um, that it's not very likely it's going to give up a ton of points. And for all of its woes, Penn State's offense has found ways to put points on the board in bulk. And, you know, that's the name of the game.
1: Well, lastly, as we wrap up here, all, it's interesting to me. I did a story last week on the founding of Old Misses collective and how they got organized in NIL very quickly and that it's operating as like a legitimate fundraising arm. And, you know, you look up across college football and people are asking, how is Old Miss getting these guys from other SEC programs, in some cases SEC starters, out of the portal? And it kind of makes sense that they got aligned with NIL very quickly. Penn State, still very high school heavy recruiting, just as many programs are across the country what is kind of the conversations around Penn State, the Big Ten at large, about the portal and NIL and collectives and all that and how it kind of shapes the future of the conference and college football?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think James Franklin said it best a few months ago when when Ryan Day had come out with whatever the number was that he said NIL was was costing them to keep you know the roster together. And he said, you know, if that's the number for Ohio State, why wouldn't it be the number for us? So I think, you know, Penn State is still very much a, a recruiting, you know, classical, you know, high school player built program. And I think we're going to see over the years that really that's still the best way to go about it. You know, in terms of really building a program. Um, but NIL wise, you know, state college is an interesting place because it's pretty rural, kind of hard to get to, not super big. Um, so it's a little bit different than a lot of places in the Big Ten that maybe have you know, Michigan's got Detroit. Ohio State's in Columbus. Um, you know, and obviously adding Los Angeles to the conference changes things too. Where you know NIL is a different kind of animal. Um, I think Penn State's doing a much better job than it was, and I think they would admit that it wasn't great, and they have admitted that it wasn't great, and it's gotten better. Um, but that's probably true for pretty much every program in America. Um, so I think it's it's definitely a challenge. It's definitely an ever-changing thing. And I think the hardest part for NIL really for every program is sort of the standards and norms are changing on such a regular basis that, um, you know, what seems normal today might be against the rules tomorrow. So I think, uh, you know, that's really where they've leaned on in recruiting, which is really much more about Um, You know, what happens when you play at Penn State, the development, the education, a lot of those things, because those things will hold true no matter how NIL changes. But there's no question that uh, if you don't have the money, you're not going to win the games. And for better or for worse, that's what college football is now.
1: Has the portal made an impact on any of their last couple of teams? Have they gotten guys that have been gigantic difference makers out of the portal?
0: Um, I mean, Chop Robinson originally went to Maryland, transferred to Penn State. He's going to be, you know, probably a first-round draft pick. Uh, Mitchell Tinsley last year, uh, receiver, you know, was a, a crucial piece of their team. So Penn State's done a good job. Um, in the portal, it's just much been much more about solving individual problems. And I think that's maybe uh, the difference between Penn State and some other programs that are trying to build is that Penn State's able to recruit well, they're able to get good guys in, they're able to develop them. Um, and I think that really is a strength because when you go to the portal, you only need a few things. If you need 25 guys out of the portal to build a team, you probably have a lot of problems. And I think Penn State's been able to avoid that on the developmental front. And I think that they're better for it, but yeah, I mean, there's no question that the portal is an asset to everyone when it comes to saying, here's a weakness, how do we fill it? And the answer is, well, you go find somebody who wants to play for you right away. And the portal certainly allows for that.
1: Who wins and by how much on Saturday?
0: Yeah, I I hate prediction because so I'm not I, good I, at I <laughs> um I mean I, I've watched Penn State's defense all year. They're really good. Um I've watched Penn State's offense all year. It's a struggle um at, at times. So I think you know, I just have a hard time picking it against Penn State's defense. I know this is gonna sound like a homer pick. I can't tell you what the score is gonna be. I, you could tell me that Ole Miss is gonna win by twenty-one. Um, I would be a little surprised. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if if Ole Miss is putting up points in this game. You could tell me that Penn State's going to hold Ole Miss to 17, and I wouldn't be surprised by that either. Um, so I guess we'll see. It'll depend on the offenses. If Penn State's defense shows up, um, it's, it's going to be a good day for Penn State in the long run, and if Penn State's offense doesn't show up, it's going to be a long day for Penn State in the long run. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm copping out of an actual answer. So you could – I will pick Penn State's defense because I think it's the best unit in the game – Um, but you know, that's not to say that I think that Penn State in, in no way, shape or form is a a lock for this game.
1: That's exactly what I do with every prediction. I'm like, I, here's my pick, but here's 15 caveats as to why it's almost (laughs) like just a formality, but it's impossible to predict. Ben Jones. I appreciate the time, man. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you doing this and, uh, uh, you know, enjoy Atlanta and, uh, we'll have a hell of a game on Saturday. Sure thing. Thanks for having me, man. All right, that's going to do it for our show today. Thanks for making it to the end and listening to this podcast as always. Hope you guys enjoy the bowl game. Weldon and I will be back at it either Sunday or Monday. Got to figure out the scheduling there, but I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about, peach bowl reaction. So uh, once again, thank you for listening to this podcast. We'll talk to you again here soon.